You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go. Let's What's up, Packer fans? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. I also want to do a quick plug for our contest. We're actually giving away a uh, autographed Quay Walker jersey, the white um, away jersey. Like I said, autographed by him came from pristineauctions.com. And um, obviously uh, got a uh, certificate of authenticity, all that stuff. Here's what you got to do to enter that contest, guys. <clears throat> you just go to my Twitter page and you'll see a tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. Same as we did with our last contest. All you got to do is follow the account, retweet that tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. That'll enter you into the contest one time. OK, and if you want to enter yourself multiple times, you'll also notice that pinned to that tweet is uh, an awesome, awesome organization that uh, Ryan's father is uh, is running and just kind of a uh, an outreach a ministry type program. Don't get I won't get into all the details there, but you can find the link for every five dollars you donate to that. Um, we will actually enter you into the contest one additional time. So to put give you an example, let's say you you turn around and you donate ten dollars to that fund there, then you're going to be entered in the contest two additional times. Like I said, in addition to the the retweet and the follow there. Now, if you're hearing my voice and you don't have Twitter. Don't blame you. Right now, you're not missing much because people have lost their minds, and I'm actually going to talk about that in tonight's show, right? So the reason I mention that is because if you um, if you don't have Twitter and you want to enter yourself into the contest, you can email me and just say, hey, Clayton, um, I want to be entered into the contest, and I'll manually do that and make sure that you have an opportunity to win that jersey as well. And I uh, don't want to leave people out that aren't as engaged or even on social media at all. So just want to mention that. And uh, again, if you want to donate to that cause, when you email me, I can actually send you a, uh, a link to that, uh, that organization there and that ministry that um, Ryan's dad is running. So with that being said, let's get into the show. Um, man, I, I wanted to just kind of freelance today, right? Obviously, it's Tuesday afternoon. You'll probably be uh, you know, catching this around noon central time. And I wanted to talk about the Giants game one last time. And, and I know a lot of people have had a lot of opinions on it. And um, I'm going to try not to get too fiery here. 
right? <laughs> I understand, you know, I'm I'm as uh, disappointed as anybody was about the outcome of that game. And when you heard our post-game show, you could probably hear it in our voice, man. It sucked. And uh, I have never dreaded doing a podcast more than I dreaded doing that post-game show. And at the same time, there were some positives to pull out of it, right? I mean, you look at the first half, we looked like a dominant football team. We looked like a top three NFC team. We honestly did, right? But coming out in the second half, it was a whole different ball game. But I'm just going to say this. Some of the reaction, some of the responses on Twitter, um, you know, other places too. I've seen YouTube comments. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've heard people, you know, doing reactional videos, everything like that. Everybody has the right to feel the way they want to feel, right, and the right to their opinion. And I definitely want to say that I respect everyone's opinion. But if you think for a second, if you're throwing out some of this nonsense, right, and I know our listeners, the majority of our listeners are freaking awesome. I messaged Ryan earlier in the chat about the Packernet After Dark, and it's my favorite podcast um, immediately following a Packers game, even after a loss, because I love hearing what the fans have to say. And one thing I'll say about the Packernet listeners, you guys listen to my voice right now, you guys sound very, very reasonable with your complaints. And, and I loved hearing you guys call in and give your feedback. It was absolutely awesome. But then I go to Twitter and I see some of these other comments on videos and I'm like, what in the world are these people talking about? I mean, they're multiple. And I'm going to read a few off here in a second. Actually, let's just do it right now. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. This one was on Twitter. Uh, what did the Eagles do? They got Jalen weapons and loaded the defense, not just building through the draft. What the F, Goody? F them picks. F your picks. Okay, well, we've began this process of backloading contracts and kicking the ball down the road because that's, you know, kicking the can down the road because that's kind of what you got to do when you've got a quarterback that's getting paid, you know, really, really good money, top five quarterback money. We won't get into the details of the contract. We've covered that way too much. And I'll go on the record one last time saying nobody knows exactly what the, the stipulations are if indeed he walks away this year or next year. But you chose to bring back Devondre Campbell, who, by the way, had a great game. We'll talk about that here in a second. You, you wouldn't know that following Twitter. You uh, chose to re-sign Russell Douglas. And it's funny, before this game, nobody's talking about ah, Russell's garbage. There was a few of those in there mixed in. You uh, you chose to, to bring back all of these players, right, on defense, you re-signed Jair Alexander, right? And somehow or another, now we're supposed to say F them picks. As you start down this road and you're building a roster this way, the only way it's going to work is if you capitalize on those late-round picks. That's the only way to work. Let me close this door. I apologize. All right, so the only way that this, this project is going to work is if you capitalize on the draft picks. It's the only way. Because you you maximize those minimum uh, cap hits with the way the contracts are structured in the NFL draft today. It's not like the old days where they could go in and completely negotiate a contract. You know they still negotiate the guaranteed money, but you know they can't negotiate where the rookie contract falls into the slot. Right? You've got to have those picks to build the team this way. Like you guys, we're we're five games in. Last week, we were on top of the freaking world. This week, it's abandon everything. Abandon, you know, abandon. Get rid of the picks. Just get better players in here. You sound stupid. 
not you listen to my voice, but the people that are saying these things. And it's embarrassing. As a Packer fan, it's embarrassing to me that we have a game where we come out, played a great first half. The second half, you've got to credit Brian Dayball on their adjustment. The You know, another thing was – I don't think I have a specific tweet here, but the theme that I kept hearing was, you know, this is on Rodgers. We need to go to Jordan Love. That's that's another one. I think, I think that might be mixed into these tweets. Can – Let's go to Jordan Love and see what he can do. What? The the guy just won back-to-back MVPs. The entire system has been created and molded around him and his decision-making and the RPO aspect of what we do. Nobody was complaining about the RPOs last week when we hit Romeo Dobbs on virtually the same exact play, not the same formation, but the same concept. You come out, you got single coverage on the outside. You go, okay, I'm going to give my guy a shot to make the play. Aaron throws a, a strike. Romeo Dobbs make a, a great in-air adjustment, hands catch, ball game, bam, put it away. Oh, Aaron, we're on top of the world. One week later, he makes the same exact decision, and now all of a sudden it's, let's go to Jordan Love. Please, guys, it's embarrassing. Stop. If you are one of them on Twitter that's hearing my voice, stop saying this stupid stuff. I mean, it makes us as Packer fans look absolutely freaking ridiculous. And it's, it, I mean, you can't just, you can't just abandon the ship mid-season and go, okay, this just isn't working. Let's go. There, listen, there's things I disagree with. You heard me on the post-game show. We should have ran the ball a lot more, but the way everything was structured, it was to go through Aaron Rodgers with the RPOs. And in my opinion, it still is. But I think you're going to see that tweak a little bit. I do. So what I'm going to do here, let, let me go through these a little bit more here. I, again, I don't want to be negative. I'm hoping I'm rattling some people's cages because it's like, come on, quit just quit just talking to hear yourself talk. Right. Explain why Joe Barry is employed. There was a tweet. Okay, it's funny coming into this season. All I heard all offseason is how Joe Barry is a genius and this is going to be a top five defense. And you guys can go back and check the show. Right. You guys got me to the point where it was like. Man, maybe this maybe I'm selling this defense short. Like maybe I'm not putting enough in. Man, I'm like maybe I'm really sleeping on. Because the way I seen it, this was a middle of the pack defense last year. Like they were a top 20 defense. They weren't a top 10 defense last year. Now what did we add to this defense? You brung all of the same players back. And now we're all of a sudden going, well, I thought this was going to be a top 5 defense. Because beat riders sat right there in training camp and watched them practice against a, a less-than-stellar offensive line, one that was banged up, I must add, and they were dominating that banged-up offensive line with no Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins, right? They seen Sean Ryan get turned around six times. You, see, you had people on draft night acting like the, he was the second coming of Jerry Kramer, right? Now, all of a sudden, he can't even crack into the backup role. You had our – defensive line turning those guys around having their heads spinning we and the beat riders were coming out talking about this is a dominating defense and then the second that they don't dominate to the level that they think they're going to they go well we heard all summer this was a top five defense you heard all summer you were the one saying it what do you mean you you think the fans were going to practice and taking notes and tweeting every five minutes and saying how dominant this defense was they were just regurgitating what it was you were sharing and now all of a sudden you're you're upset. You're, I can't believe they're, 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 the defense isn't this strong. I'm telling you, man, you got to learn how to think. People have got to learn, like, 
that blew my mind when I heard the same exact people that were in practice pumping these guys up, going up against a banged-up offensive line, are now looking around going, who said that? Oh, who was it that said this was a top-five defense? I thought this. I thought we were getting a great defense. You said it, you moron. Like, I don't know, man. That blows my mind. So, anyway, on to the next one. What does Rich Basaccia know about defense? Just curious. Okay, so now we're moving the special teams coordinator to defense. That Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Here's one. Cut Amari Rogers, sit Royce Newman, reevaluate Joe Barry, and run the ball. That'll fix the problems. First of all, okay, let's cut our third-round pick. Let's cut it. Got it. After two years, cut him. Look, Amari is showing nothing. And if you want to cut bait with him, that's fine. It is. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you cut a third-round pick. But at this point in the season, when you cut him, what does it gain? It, it, okay, you're going to elevate somebody from the practice squad. Tell me the player on the practice squad that's going to that's going to fill that role on kick return because right now it's looking like Christian Watson if he gets healthy, right? So now you're saying let's bring up a practice squad player and just try to fill. It, we're not playing Madden, right? <laughs> Sit Royce Newman, guys. I hate to break it to you, but if you think Royce Newman's the problem. You might want to look again because he graded out better than a lot of offensive linemen in that game on Sunday. Royce Newman was not the problem. Heck, you heard me and Jacob. I didn't get a chance to watch the tape, right? I'm on the road. I'm trying to watch the game best I can. You know, Jacob mentioned Elton Jenkins. Looked like he's going to have a bad – it looked like he had a bad game. There was a couple plays I seen where it was like, oh, man, that's on Elton. Now, the grades don't always match up with what I see. I'm not going to sit here and be egotistical and say, oh, well, I'm right and they're wrong. That's that's BS. There's more eyeballs on those grades at PFF than I can watch and that I can evaluate as a team globally, right? Elton Jenkins came out and had a great grade. And we got people saying that Elton Jenkins needs to move out of right tackle. It's like he graded out as the highest offensive line, I think the highest offensive player in this game. You don't know until you watch the tape, right? And I understand we're making – we're making comments and stuff on the fly as the game ends, as the game's in real time, but we just got to slow our roll. If the Packers would have ran the ball every single play against the Giants, I think they might have won. Okay? So now we're going back to 1929. Let's just let's run the ball every single snap. Got it. All right. Um, let's see here. Green Bay is screwed. When guys like Aaron Jones and Jair are questioning the scheme and the play calls, you're toast. If your guys don't believe in what they're doing, they won't get it done. This is just the start. We have a leadership problem. 12 and Matt LaFleur better figure it out quick. So now there's a leadership problem in the locker room. First of all, I'm going to say this. Aaron Rodgers made the wrong decisions on Sunday with not sticking to the run, right? Period. That's, that's, that's the way I see that. So I'm not sitting here trying to be apologetic for Aaron Rodgers. But one thing I will say. What Aaron Rodgers came out and said about I don't want I don't like people uh, in the locker room talking about if we lose next week if we lose next week guys whether people want to accept it or not that is one hundred percent fact that's one hundred percent truth you can call Aaron Rodgers a kook all you want it's amazing he's a kook but he's at the top of his profession he just won most valuable player for the fourth time two times in a row right he's won a Super Bowl he's Crazy, crazy rich because he's so good at what he does on the field and off the field with business. But he's the one that doesn't know what's going on, right? But whether you're, you know, you believe it spiritually or it's just a law that's sown in the earth, the law of attraction exists. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you expect. 
And there is power in the spoken word. If you speak those things into existence, you speak speak positive over your life, you speak positive into anything it is you're doing, your mind is trained. It's, it's literally programmed to, I'm not going to accept anything other than what I know we can do here, which is win, which is be successful. And when players start talking that stuff in the locker room, yeah, if we lose next week, then, then I'm worried. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, that that's – John Coon said it best on uh, on Twitter. And maybe John Coon's a kook too. I don't know. I, I like to believe he isn't. But he said it best. He said you, he, he retweeted that and he said, there's going to be a players meeting, I promise you that, something along those lines. And there should be. It should get everybody together and go and, – and here's what Aaron Rodgers should say. This is the right move. Guys, listen. It was my it was my call on the field with the RPO. Matt left it up to me, and I chose to pass in both those situations. I was wrong. I accept it. But don't you think for one freaking second it's okay to start talking about losing? Don't you think for one freaking second it's okay to go to the media and just start spilling your guts because you're emotional over a loss, right? I don't know, man. I just see that stuff different. Um, let's do this. Let's go to Matt Lafleur. I want, my next point I want to make here. Or next comment, I guess you could say. I want you to listen what Matt says here in the presser uh, yesterday when he was asked a question about the crossers. The crossers have been killing this Joe Barry defense. And, guys, that's how you attack this Vic Fangio-style defense. It is, right? Now, why is that? And and Justin with the Packernet uh, Fantasy Podcast, he, he actually asked me this question earlier today, and I was trying to get – settled in off the road before I could actually answer. I didn't want to just be a you know two or three word answer, but essentially he asked, why are the crossers beating this defense so bad? And it's because you're coming out in a too high look, right? You're coming out in a too high shell. And the goal is to show cover four, but most of the time you end up with a single high safety. And it's, it's typically if it's a zone defense, it ends up being a cover three or a cover six. We won't go into the details of what those are. Then when you go when you do stay in a cover four, it might be a palms. It might be a quarters play. There's all kinds of different variations to this. But the point is the goal with Joe Barry's defense and this Vic Fangio defense is to show the same, the same too high look every single player, at least the majority of the time, and then do late rotation, meaning as soon as the ball snapped, then everybody rotates into their defensive spot. Well, the only problem with that is in certain formations, certain sets, especially trips, in my opinion, you're going to have your DBs out of position pre-snap. Now, that's on Joe Barry to make that adjustment. Hey, look, guys, the crossers are killing us because they're getting late to their spot. But I'm going to let Matt LaFleur answer this, and I'm going to tell you something right now. I appreciate and respect the fact that Matt LaFleur snipped back at the media right here because the media – they get this this little attitude as if they understand how to how to you know play the game better than a a coach that's been around the National Football League for a decade now or however long it's been, and it just amazes me how a reporter who's never played a sport in his life, never coached in his life, never done anything involved around a, a team in his life, will just snip and make it and ask a question as if <laughs> can't you figure this out, coach? Let's let's listen to Matt Lafleur snap back. I liked it. I'm wondering if you need to make some some sort of bold changes there, um, whether it's what are you suggesting. Well, I don't know. I'm well. Pause it there. Uh, do you think you need to make some bold change, uh, a, a bold uh, adjustment, or whatever it was he said? And Matt Lafleur cuts him off and goes, "What are your suggestions?" And then he goes, oh, "I don't know. I don't know." Okay. And you gave up quite a. And Matt Lafleur said, "He said oh, I don't know." And Matt Lafleur said, "Okay." A few points yesterday, like you mentioned, you know, there's crossing routes. There's been guys been open. Yeah. Um, you need to be more aggressive. I, I don't know if there's. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot that we need to clean up. Number one is, I just think the urgency to get get lined up and get ready to play because. 
Bingo. It's exactly what I said to Justin. It's exactly what I've talked to Jacob about. There needs to be more a more sense of urgency of getting lined up. Do you guys remember in the Minnesota game how Justin Jefferson absolutely cooked us? And how many times did you see the safeties, mainly Amos and Savage, looking over their shoulder, looking beside each other, trying to communicate, All right, well, what, do you, what do we do here? We need to get in a spot. You shouldn't be late to the spot. You should know exactly what your keys are and be in position to jump anything that comes your way, right? Now, unless you're playing two-man under with inside leverage, playing inside under leverage, what they call it, then a crosser, you're going to be you're going to be vulnerable to a crosser, a crosser regardless of any defense you're running, right? You're going to be chasing it. You're going to be chasing the play the whole time, the route the whole time. And what these what these quarterbacks are doing is late rotation. They're catching the second window of the crosser. That's what's coming open. Because just going back and watching the tape, um, there were moments when we got other crossing routes that we were all over, that we were gloving. And then there's times when we're just a little bit off and guys are, are moving around and not in the best position pre-snap. And, and we have a hard time, you know, taking those crossing routes and we're get, when we get beat. That's exactly what I've seen on tape. <clears throat> exactly what I've seen. It's exactly what I've seen in Minnesota. A lot more miscommunication in Minnesota, but that's what you see on tape. You see that, like he said, on some plays, the crossers are covered. Okay, why aren't they? Why is it the play that keeps gashing us? Because there's too much movement late, right? And if that's the case, then Joe Barry needs to grab his you-know-what, step up, get loud, and say, listen, guys, we're too late to the spot. If you have to... If you have to do away with the too high look pre-snap and just get in the spot you need to be in to protect your zone, your assignments, it, it could be a, a man concept within the Fangio uh, system, depending on what the defensive keys are for that specific formation, that specific play, that specific route combination, then do that. And and I love the fact that Matt LaFleur snapped back right there. I do. And, and for all these people that are, I'm just so tired of his same answer. Guys, he's being honest at the podium. It, if you want him to get up there and give you a soundbite like Jim Mora, Matt LaFleur is not your guy. If you want him to get up there and be uh, be bolsterous and, and act uh, you know pissed off the entire time, Matt LaFleur is not your guy. That doesn't do a thing for anybody. I'll tell you, Mike Daniels was one of the one of the better defensive linemen to come through Green Bay in a long time, right? And toward the end, the reason it fell apart, in my opinion, he became a loud mouth. We're going to be the defense that punches people in the mouth. And that you may think that motivates people, especially in the locker room. It doesn't. People know when you're all bark and no bite, right? And the number one thing, and this is John Madden 101. John, the great, I'm not talking about the announcer, John Madden. I'm talking about the head coach, John Madden, one of the most successful coaches, pioneers in the history of the game. It's my understanding he was the very first coach to install the 34 defense. He was the very first coach to have a training camp, if I remember correctly, um, in a sense of how he did it. There's a lot of things that John, John Madden pioneered, and the number one rule he had as a coach is be yourself. If you're phony, they're going to see right through it. And once they see through your phoniness, you're done. And you've seen coach after coach after coach go through that. It's why Steve Spurrier failed in this league. It's, it's why, in my opinion, Pete Carroll failed the first time he came through the league. And you see coach after coach go through that. 
Matt LaFleur is not phony. Matt LaFleur is himself. You may think he's weak. You may think he's not bolsterous enough. You may think he's he doesn't have enough attitude and he's too soft on his players and this and that. But this is his coaching style. And if he changes it now, then every single person in that locker room is going to know that ain't Matt. That ain't Coach LaFleur. He's fake. He's lost me. That's that's in sports. That's in business. That's in relationships. That's in friendships. That's in anything. If you try to fake it till you make it, you're going to fall flat on your face, period. So I love the way that head coach Matt LaFleur is handling this. And he's staring right down both barrels at the, at the, you know, at this specific moment. And it really bothers me that as crappy of a situation as it was yesterday, that now you, if you think for a second, these players in this locker room aren't watching Twitter, you're crazy. If you think the coaching staffs and some of the people in management isn't watching social media, you're crazy. And you may be hearing my voice say, well, they don't need to be focused on that. They need to be focused on getting better. They're going to tell you they're not looking at it, but they're looking at it. Now, tell me what in the world those tweets that I just read off does for this team. If anything, it's it's players are reading that going, what the heck am I doing here? Let me get out of this place as soon as I can. Because it's it's just nonsense. Not all of it. And there's a couple things I can kind of see the point, but it's like, what are we doing? What, why are, it blows my mind. Another thing I want to touch on here, and then we're going to get into kind of what happened with the game. LaFleur said, this is uh, Rob Domofsky from LaFleur's presser. He said, LaFleur said, uh, said the, quote, run alerts in the game plan took touches away from Jones and Dillon. Quote, I've got to do a better job of making sure we're getting those guys the necessary touches. When Aaron Jones has 13 carries and A.J. has six, it's hard to sit up here and justify that. He's owning the mistake. And and people will argue, people will complain and say, he says that every week. This to me was different because what he said right here, guys, he just called out Aaron Rodgers. I've got to do a better job of making sure we're getting those guys the necessary touches. What that means is – from here moving forward, maybe not every time, but in, when we find ourselves in a game situation where we need to run the ball more, I'm not going to call an alert. I'm not going to call an RPO. I'm going to call a run and play. And he's going to radio that in and go, Aaron, here's the call, you know, whatever. Gun 11, trips right, you know, strong, you know, uh, strong right. We're going outside zone, not outside zone RPO alert or outside zone smoke, none of that. Now, we'll see if Aaron runs the play or not, right? But I think I think Aaron kind of got his keister handed to him a little bit on Sunday, and I think we're going to see things change up just a touch. That's just my personal opinion. But, again, I am not arguing with the throw to Lazard on that fourth and two. I'm not. That was the matchup, period. I, I seen somebody on Twitter said this isn't a loaded box. It's not a loaded box. There's eight guys in the box. We have six offensive linemen. What do you mean that's not a loaded box? That's 100% a loaded box. Now, the third and two before it, I'm on board with it. We should have ran the freaking ball there. And what's crazy is on the fourth and two, A.J. could have ran that in too. But the decision was already made that there's my one-on-one matchup. Let me go to that. I, I have more of a problem with the third and two, but still have a problem with the fourth and two as well. I would much rather our team had ran it twice and got stuffed and been like, you know what, that was the right play call, period rather than throw two incomplete passes and lose the game that way. That's just me personally. But here, guys, here we are on Tuesday, and it's hindsight's 2020, right? We're Monday uh, Monday morning quarterback, and that's what we're doing here. I'm as guilty as anybody. And, and I need to say this again. I'm not mad at our listeners. I, I, I heard enough on Packernet After Dark to understand 
that our listeners know what the crap's going on. And it it fires me up to hear you guys call in and get take because every caller I, I there was at one caller I was like, oh come on now. Every single caller that called in and talked to Ryan and even Ryan's rent. I disagree with some of it, but every single person, every point that was made, including Ryan's, I found myself going, that's a good point. That's a good point. I can see that side. Might not 100% agree with it, but I can see that. But some of this garbage on Twitter, man, is just like, oh, my God. There's There were several people that got muted because I'm like, I, I do not need my football IQ going down listening to that junk, period. So when it comes to the carries and the alerts, I think we're going to see a little tweak there because we should have ran the we should have ran the crap out of the ball yesterday. We really should have. And I feel like they came out in the second half and they thought they really being Aaron, like, okay, we've got this under control. Let's get us some stats. This is this would be a good 300 yard passing day. That's what it felt like we were trying to do, and that is 100 percent wrong. So I get that. I totally get that. But let's do this. Let's uh, let's take us a quick break, and when we get back. I'm going to actually hit on the positives from that game, a few of the negatives too, and we're going to kind of dissect exactly what went wrong from a player-by-player player standpoint and then talk about moving forward, what this means for the Packers and where they grade out. But first, let's, uh, like I said, let's take a quick commercial break. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right. So let's get a little bit different look at the game yesterday. All right, so the PFF grades have hit. To the best of my knowledge, they're finalized. There may be a, a few tiny tweaks, but here's how we graded out against the New York Giants. Overall, a 70.1. Not bad. Offensively, 75.3. Here's the big kicker. Passing, 59.6. You have got to tip your freaking cap to Wink Martindale. He called a great game, especially in the second half. Really, the second half. He he made a great second half adjustment. And I'm so tired of hearing people say that adjustments don't actually take. That's not what Aaron said on the McAfee show. Aaron did not say on the McAfee show that halftime adjustments don't happen. What he said essentially was people have this big um, this big understanding or, or they, this thought that that somehow teams go into the second half and they go, scrap the game plan, let's start from scratch. Here's what we're going to do in the second half. That does not happen. But there, there are tweaks and adjustments that happen throughout the course of the entire game. But you can bet 
your rear end, they go into halftime and go, all right, they're cooking us here, here, and here. Let's change this up. Let's go to more cover three rather than cover two. Hey, let's load the box. Let's load the strong side now. Let's force them to run weak. Things like that happen every single halftime. It does. So, But anyway, Wink Martindale shut the passing game down. We graded out a 59.6. He did an excellent job with that single high look there in the second half, and he was daring Aaron to throw it deep. And it's funny because some people disagree with them throwing it deep, but think about this. Single high safety, it looked to me like man coverage. I need to I need to focus a little bit more on their secondary and exactly what it was they're doing when I watched this uh, this second time through on the tape. But I remember there in the third quarter, or uh, I believe it was in the uh, not the third quarter. It might have been yeah, it was the possession at the ten minute mark in the fourth quarter. I got frustrated because it was pass deep, pass deep, and then or pass deep, then a pass over the middle like a medium you know depth pass to Cobb, and then another pass deep, and I was frustrated. But they were showing a single high safety. Do you know where that play is? You throw to the outside. That You throw to the outside. That's that's where, that's where what's their dictate. Now, here's the thing that Ryan pointed out that I'm 100% on board with. I think he did it in a tweet. At some point, we got to look up and go, okay, yeah, the box is loaded, but the running game's still working. Let's run until it doesn't work. And, and it's like Aaron's coming to the line, and he's looking at it and saying, you know what? Yeah, this don't look good, man. They got eight in the box. Let's uh let's go ahead and pass it. And it's first and ten, and your your running backs are averaging over five yards a pop. Heck, in some cases this year, Aaron Jones averaging over eight yards a pop, right? So um completely understand that. But again, that's the big black eye on offense. Aaron Rodgers had a bad game. What's funny about that bad game, he still threw for like 225 yards, I think, had two touchdowns, no picks, protected the football. Turned the ball, we turned the ball over zero times on offense, and Aaron threw two touchdowns, right? But the goal isn't stats. The goal is to win the game. Aaron had a bad game, period, 59.6. Pass blocking, 81.8. I seen that on the ride home. I didn't feel like Aaron was being flushed out of the pocket. As a matter of fact, I remember one specific time my wife, Mandy, was driving the truck, and we're on our way back, and I'm watching the game, and, and I look up, and I see him sit in the pocket, and I'm like, that ball has got to come out quicker than this. That's awesome. He's able to get through all his reads and all that. But my God, you have if you if you really took a pre-snap look, and the ball isn't coming out within four seconds or whatever it was, it was something ridiculous. That's on the QB. The grades suggest that as well. But it also suggests that the pass blocking was good, and PFF has it at an eighty-one point eight. Right, the receiving grade seventy point five, not bad at all. Running grade sixty-seven point zero. That suggests the running backs had a little bit of an off day. You know, I mean, week one, they were 76.5. Week two, 82.8. They dipped down to a 62.7 against Tampa and then a 60.1. I'm sorry, not not a 60.1, a 62.7 against Tampa and then a 73.2 against the Patriots. And then yesterday they had a 67.0. Not great, but not horrible, right? And the run blocking grade was a 77.9. That was hands down the best run blocking we've had all year long, and we wasted it. We wasted it because Aaron chose to opt out of the RPOs and 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 use the passing aspect of the RPO. And, you know, something else that bothers me, I heard somebody the other day, I'm just going to kind of vent here a minute. I heard somebody the other day uh, talk about, uh, it might have been, I don't think it was Lombardi. I can't remember who it was, but someone was like, you know, with the RPOs, uh, they know the quarterback's not going to run there. So what's the point of the RPO? That's not an RPO, you freaking moron. You're thinking of a read option. A read option is where the quarterback can choose to either read the edge, 
choose to either hand the ball off to the running back out of the gun set, typically in a sidecar or a pistol, and either hand the ball off or keep it and take the edge. If the edge crashes on the running back, quarterback keeps it, goes around the edge. RPO is not a read option. An RPO is a run-pass option. Two different things. Run-pass option means the play is designed that the quarterback at the last second can either, either hand the ball off or he can pass the ball, depending on what the defense does. You know, Favre did this in the 90s so many times where they kind of invented it, him and Doug Peterson. That's why Doug Peterson brung it with him to Philly when he won the Super Bowl. A lot of people don't know this backstory. That's how that is how the 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 run pass option kind of got into the NFL because Favre mentioned in the 90s, hey, look, when we go to run the ball, if we just put a slant on the backside here, before I hand it off, I can actually look and see if the DB's cheating in the box because you know in the 90s the, the run game was way more prevalent as far as eye formation and, and, and even the pro sets, things like that, that, that Bill Walsh utilized the running back in the passing game. We won't get into that's a show uh, topic for another show. But he said, why don't we put a slant on the backside, and if the DB sneaks – if the DB creeps in, tries to cheat, I'll hammer that slant. That's essentially what an RPO is. It's a run-pass option. It's a play that's designed – that the receivers run their routes, especially when you've got a smoke or a bubble or something attached like that, right, or a, a quick lookie with a slant over the middle, something like that, where the quarterback can go, okay, if that linebacker that's in the middle of the field that to me looks like he's in zone defense, if he bites on this run, I'm pulling the ball out of the running back's belly and hammering the slant, right? Or I'm going to, okay, I've got the numbers game here. As, as I drop back, as the ball snapped, I'm going to look at that slot corner. If the slot corner cheats in on this inside zone, then I'm going to throw the bubble. And we've got a blocker, a blocker out there ahead, and the only one that beats the free safety, right? That's what an RPO is. I, I don't mean to go on a mini rant there, but it just drives me crazy that people talk about football for a living and they don't even have a clue what they're saying. Why well, you the RPO doesn't even come to effect there? That quarterback ain't gonna run. Why even worry about it? That's a read option, moron. Anyway, Ugh. so the run blocking really rebounded in this game. All right, on to defense. The defensive grade was a fifty-seven point four. So all these people that are calling for Jordan Love to be the starting quarterback now, and and I say all, I say that pretty confidently, guys. There were several people saying, I think I think we just see what Jordan Love can do. What are you talking about? Like Aaron Rodgers has one bad game, and now it's let's can him, let's can the MVP and put in Jordan Love, and, and let's have you know twenty eight point five million dollars sitting on the bench, cap hit this year. I don't I don't understand people. Anyway, defensive grade, 57.4. Guys, the defense, to the best of my knowledge, if I if I seen it correctly when I watched it back, I was baffled. They had five straight scoring drives that they gave up. The offense did not lose this game. Yes, I know it was hard to watch them run that offense in the second half. But, again, people were saying, you know, I feel like they're just taking their gas, their 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 foot off the throttle, and they don't really, you know, they're not really putting their, their foot on people's necks and this and that. And it's like they were passing the ball. Like, if anything, I would feel like that's being too aggressive because in the second half, the clock becomes your opponent, you know? So that's kind of how I see that. But, again, the defense, 57.4. Run defense, 60.4. And will we please stop defending Darnell Savage? Guys, this isn't an indictment on Darnell Savage. I'm not trying to bash the guy. I'm not trying to kick somebody while they're down. But I know this, that when I hear people – try to justify the way Darnell Savage plays defense, I, I don't understand what they're seeing other than the one or two or three plays that he does good in one game. It's like, what about the other snaps? Like, 
how many how many games do we have to see this before we start to realize okay savage has savage took a step back when joe barry stepped in with this new this new scheme from mike Pettin. okay now savage has literally jumped backwards even further right and when you look at this run defensive grade he and amos look like they're scared to attack the ball and maybe that is on the coaches Maybe that is Joe Barry saying, hey, play this real conservative, keep everything in front of you. Maybe that is the case. But, you know, like we said on the postgame show and Sam Holman mentioned on Twitter, it just seems like these these defensive backs and these linebackers aren't attacking the ball the way Denver's defense has attacked the ball under Vic Fangio, you know, two, three, four years ago, whatever it was, right? There's something off there where they're they're hesitant. I've seen Darnell Savage come up on that Saquon Barkley play uh, to the left side there, and it was like, he was half in and half out. Like, okay, I'm going to set the edge, but I don't really want to make contact here. Oh, he's by me, and he turned around backwards. The next thing you know, Amos is running in the opposite direction because he feels like, I don't understand a strong safety that doesn't just attack the ball carrier there. Like, go make the play. Why are you running backwards? It, you you do understand you running backwards is going to allow him to get another 15 yards. Like, it's either make the play or take your medicine. But – to just tuck tail and run and pretend like you're doing the right thing. It's horrible. And the, and the grade suggests that run defense, 60.4 horrible tackling grade 56.1. Now the pass rush still looked decent. 67.6 Preston Smith had a ball game and we'll talk about that in a minute, but coverage grade 49.2 guys. I'm going to say it again. 49.2. The coverage was worse in this giants game than it was in the Minnesota game. I mean, think about that. So why is that? Why did the coverage grade jump to a 65.5 last week, you know, stay there, and the tackling grade sit at a 78.8 last week? What's the difference? I'll tell you the difference. A guy named Rudy Ford. Adrian Amos was back in the lineup, and for whatever reason, Darnell Savage craps the bed every time Amos is back there with him, and Amos looks like he's playing scared. I don't understand it. I don't. Like I said, maybe it's on the coaches. I have a hard time believing that the coaches are okay with the safeties playing the run the way they play it. But we got to stop defending them in that regard. Now, here's another highlight. Special teams, 72.5. You know, Amari Rodgers, I get it. The drop, I got you. But overall, the special teams has been solid. I am no longer nervous when that ball is snapped to the holder. And and I, I see now why Mason Crosby is more excited about this year than he has been in a long time because he's got a veteran holder now. Uh, kudos to the front office, kudos to Rich Passaccia, and them going out and get Pat O'Donnell. It completely changed everything. And making that play, making that call, I should say, in training camp to go to Coco. Coco has been outstanding. I think Ryan pointed it out to me the first time that I think he he was perfect in snaps in college or wherever it was he played before. I, I don't know. It might have been high school. I don't know. I just remember him talking about he had a really, really good record for clean snaps, and it's really paying off. So that's how that graded out against the Giants. Now, let's go individually here. Let's check the time. All right, yeah, we're at the 40-minute mark. We're good. All right, so offensively, Elton Jenkins was the highest-graded player on the Packers, 85.7 at right tackle. To me, Elton Jenkins is your right tackle. He's he, he's only going to get better from here on out. And me and Jacob had a great conversation about this. I love hearing other people's opinion. If Jacob does it in a way, I love Jacob's passion for the game. I love the fact that Jacob, if Jacob believes something, he's going to say it. And he's going to say it with conviction. And I absolutely respect that about him. And I, and I kind of push back on it 
and said, I, if I remember correctly, I said, I disagree because I, nothing tells me that Yash, Yash Nijman is going to be a better right tackle than Elton Jenkins, right? Essentially what you're saying is uh, Yash is a better offensive lineman than Elton Jenkins if you think he can play right tackle better than him. Now, if the argument was let's slide Elton Jenkins inside and try Yash out there, you're, you're now you're starting musical chairs. And I'm just that I'm not an offensive line guru by no stretch of the imagination, but I just I've seen so many times in the past where offensive lines have completely fallen apart because there's constantly moving parts. You've got to get guys to settle in. I am so happy to see Elton Jenkins' grade here. 85.7, 82.6 pass blocking, 84.9 run blocking. We needed that because I was starting when you can hear hear me on the postgame show when Jacob said it. I wasn't like you're crazy. I was like, ah, oh, man, something's got to give, <laughs> right? So it's it's nice to see how Elton rebounded there. And, again, I haven't got a chance to really focus in on him. I look more globally when I watch the tape. I want to kind of understand what the offense is trying to accomplish as opposed to trying to grade players. I let other people do that, me personally. So now I do know this. Savage's play was so bad that me sitting in a vehicle watching on my Samsung S22, whatever it is, that small screen, right, me watching the game, I couldn't tell you how many times I looked over at my wife and said, God, Savage is horrible. It was every play he was out of place. Every play he was on skates. Every play he was hesitant. There was nothing that he did good. Nothing. But anyway, second highest, Randall Cobb, 83.7. Randall Cobb is earning his snaps. He got 40 snaps yesterday, and that fires me up. So he's getting more snaps. He's probably going to get even more snaps. Randall Cobb is playing lots out right now. 83.7 offensive grade, 82.2 in the passing game, um, run blocking 61.4. Most importantly, like I said, overall offensive grade, 83.7. Randall Cobb was one of the few highlights in that game. And, again, that play over the middle on that second down where I disagreed with, with Rogers throwing three straight times, you know, there uh, with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, you know, Cobb, Cobb ran a great route. Aaron threw a great ball. That was one of those plays where you go, man, the defender just made a – Absolutely perfect play. Perfect play. And and what can you do about that? They get paid too, right? So Cobby had a great game, and that's good to see there. Hopefully he can stay healthy. That's the only thing that concerns me with his age. But, again, 40 snaps is awesome for me. Um, number three, John Runyon, 82.7. Guys, we've got us a dog at left guard, which is another reason why I don't feel like, you know, that's Elton Jenkins' uh, natural position. I darn sure don't want John Runyon coming off the field. And I know Jacob didn't say that. He did not say that. Um, but John Runyon stepping into his own, man. Pass blocking grade, 87.4. Run blocking grade, 76.5. His pass blocking is uh, has always been the strong point when it comes to PFF grades. Number four, Josiah DeGuara, 74.0. His pass uh, passing play grade was an 87.9. That's excellent. He basically played perfect, did everything right. He only had nine snaps, though, small sample size, right? And then number five, Aaron Jones, surprise, surprise, 71.9, uh, pass blocking grade, 81.7, and a run blocking grade, 69.0. Aaron Jones is just a stud, 46 snaps. Gosh, I wish they would get him the ball more, man. He is he is the key to winning. Now, Yash seen a lot of, a lot of looks yesterday. Um, he was rotating with David Bakhtiari, but he got the majority of the snaps at left tackle. Yash graded out a 68.8, which is awesome. 
Now, they said that they they really played it safe with David Bakhtiari, if I understood correctly. They were playing on turf, and they didn't want to you know subject his knee to that turf over there that they're unfamiliar with. And then also the flight over they were a little bit concerned with. If you guys, anybody who's ever flown, if you've got problem with uh, swelling or joints and things like that, uh, joints in your body, not joints that you smoke, you bunch of potheads. I know you, you yeah, get out of the gutter. Get your head out of the gutter. Tell I've never smoked, right? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> not now. That was in the youth. All right, just calm down. But uh, Yash, uh, Yash played a pretty solid game of 38 snaps. Now, why do I mention that? David Bakhtiari, 25 snaps. Guys, he graded out a 59.4. Horrible game. Horrible game for David Bakhtiari. Again, Elton Jenkins was not the problem, right? Look at Josh Myers, 60.1. Horrible. Now, why do I mention that? One of the tweets I mentioned earlier, guys, what did it say? Sit, it said bench Royce Newman. Bench Royce Newman. Royce Newman was a 67.9. If you're benching Royce Newman, then you're justifying benching Josh Myers, your center, and David Bakhtiari, your starting left tackle. I don't know what they've seen in Royce Newman. I didn't look at right guard and think he played bad. I didn't. I didn't at all. So um, that was your offensive grades. Again, Elton Jenkins, Randall Cobb, John Runyon, Josiah DeGuara, minimal uh, sample size there, but still Josiah DeGuara, Aaron Jones, and Yash um, had uh, pretty much the best grades. You also had Mercedes and Royce coming in there in the top ten, but um, that's how your offense graded out. Now let's go to defense. Defensive side of the ball, well, I want to mention this, give a shout-out to Jacob. His dog of the week was Randall Cobb, second highest graded player on offense. Pretty cool how that lines up, right? But I know PFF doesn't know what they're talking about. I got you. So anyway, defensive side of the ball. You guys remember my dog of the week, Preston Smith? He was the highest graded player on defense. You could just see it. Like I said, even even riding in the car and watching on the phone, it was like Preston was flashing to me. He was setting the edge well. He, he played a total of 49 snaps. It wasn't a crazy amount of snaps, but, I mean, he pretty much played the whole game. He played more than Rashawn Gary. Um, off the edge there, obviously. But uh, Preston Smith, 84.6 PFF grade, run defensive grade of 79.0, in a pass rush grade of 73.4, and a tackle grade of 74.9. Great, great game by Preston Smith. Like I said, he was my dog of the week in the postgame show before these grades came out. Number two, Devondre Campbell. There were some people bashing Devondre as if Devondre, you know, had a bad game. Second highest graded player on defense, 80.9. Coverage grade, 80.2. Right, tackle grade needs to get better. Fifty-eight point two run defense, sixty-seven point nine. But again, overall, eighty point nine. He played sixty-one snaps. The Dubas out there, to the best of my knowledge, every single defensive snap he was on the field and graded out as an eighty point nine. We got to stop that slander, right? Devondre Campbell is who he was last year. It's just some of the other, de- the rest of the defense isn't, you know, isn't coming around now. Um, yeah, with Devondre, thank God they they locked him up. That's one of the bright points on this defense, 80.9. Number three, Kenny Clark continues to play very, very solid. 77.9, his run defense grade 67.8, tackle grade 71.6, pass rush 75.0. Another great game by uh, Kenny Clark. Jaron Reed at number four, look at this, 47 total snaps, 72.8 defensive grade, 80.1 pass rushing, 71.4 tackle grade. Great game by Jaron Reed. And then number five, Rashawn Gary, steady Eddie, 71.2 overall grade, 66.5 uh, run defensive grade. There was one play he made on a quarterback draw that was just phenomenal. I was just like, 
I don't know if anybody else on the field makes that play other than Rashawn Gary and his motor. It was it was an excellent play there in a key moment to stop Daniel Jones on a design quarterback draw. Um, but his uh, pass rush grade really dipped down 58.5. But uh, dropping into coverage, he only had one coverage snap, but he was in coverage that one snap, 75.6. I mean, the versatility, the, you know, moving around, you don't want to see Rashawn Gary in coverage, period, right? But – uh, again, you know, 71.2 is mainly because of the run defensive grade had a, had a really had an off game at that 58.8. If you guys remember, what I think it was either Thursday or Saturday show that I did, I said I'd like to see them move him around a little bit and uh, and allow um, him to maybe take another matchup or two and allow Preston Smith to maybe have a crack or Kingsley Enigbar have a crack there off of the, uh, the right side with Evan Neal. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, though, Rashawn Gary's pass rush grade was was low. So, um, number six, I want to mention this because this is kind of exciting. You're starting to see this more and more. Kingsley and Igbar, he only had 18 snaps, but a 70.7 grade. Run defensive grade, 64.2. Tackle a 70.5. A 70 and uh, he was in coverage two snaps. And it, what's wild is I never would have thought he would he would be able to hold his own in any, any kind of coverage situation. But he had 77.3 in coverage, only two snaps there. But, again, he graded out as the sixth highest at 70.2. Now, <clears throat> let's go to the, the bad players this week, if you will, right? Darnell Savage, 30.7. A 30.7, guys. Like, on defense, in my opinion, the most important aspect of a defense is – the nose tackle, the middle linebacker, and the free safety or the safety in the scheme that's playing center field. Locking down the center of the field and using the boundaries as an extra defender at three levels, right? That's the way I see the defensive side of the ball. If your free safety sucks, if your center fielder sucks, your defense is going to suck. And I'm telling you right now, Darnell Savage sucks. I don't know how, how much worse it needs to get before people get off of this these victory laps about the fifth-year option. He is not the free safety that we need for this defense. Now, could he turn it around? Yeah, but my gosh, he's got some work to do. I hope he turns it around. I've been saying this for, for you know, ever since March. Like, I really hope this year they turn around, but he was hot garbage last year. Here we are again, hot garbage again. Rasul Douglas, 33.2. Quay Walker, 35.4. Now, with Quay, his tackle grade, 80.9. But the big thing was his run defense. His run defense was abysmal, 28.2. And then you got Eric Stokes with an overall grade of 43.6. Those are the guys in the secondary, in my opinion, Rasul Douglas, Darnell Savage, and Eric Stokes that cost us this game. They're the reason the crossers were running open. They're the reason they were late getting in position. And, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it, to be honest with you. A little Forrest Gump there. That's all I got to say about that. That's how the defense shakes out. We won't get into special teams. We're pretty much out of time, and this flew by. Um, I want to do this, though. Again, we're about to bury this, this game ball here, right, and we're moving on to the Jets. But I wanted to kind of touch on it. Here's the good. Here's the bad, according to PFF, and then let's move along. As it sits right now, the overall grades this, you know, this season, the Packers grade out as the 12th best team in the National Football League. For all those people that like to hate on PFF, why do I mention that? Well, the overall team grade, they're 12th overall. They're eighth in the NFC. They're the eighth highest overall graded team in the NFC. Guess where they sit in the standings? They're the number 17. 
the number seven seed in the uh, in the NFC. Isn't it funny how that lines up? But I know PFF doesn't know what they're doing. They're garbage. So I, I know most of the people hearing my voice right now, you guys agree with me on that, that PFF is just a sort of – it's not the tell-all, end-all, but for people to act like it's useless information, they're kidding themselves. There's you a nugget to take to the Twitter battlefields with you. Isn't it funny how they grade out as the eighth-best team in the NFC, and right now they're currently the number seven seed. Now, as we sign off, I want to say this. There were uh, several people this offseason – talking as if this Packer team was going to win 15 games. And and I was baffled. It's like, man, am I – just like the defense. People people almost talked me into it. And I'm like, the defense didn't get that much better, and they were a middle-of-the-pack defense. I mean, I think they can get better, but to just assume that they're going to be a top-five defense is silly, right? But to assume this team, minus Tay Adams, and pretty much nothing else – we lost the best receiver in the game, arguably the best receiver in the entire National Football League. We lost him, and nothing else really changed. But somehow we were going to go to 15 wins. I had people looking at me like I was crazy because I picked the Bills to beat them. Like, I think you're just underselling them. I think you're underselling the Packers. I think the Packers are a better team than the Bills. I'm going, I don't know, dude. Man, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see that. Right? I say that because the Packers are who they are. And, and to me, it's pretty pretty easy to look at this and go, okay, yeah, we're sitting at three and two. I expected them to be the, beat the Giants. I 100% did. But I did not expect them to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So we're right back where I thought we were going to be. I believe my prediction was somewhere between 11 and 14 wins this year, barring any crazy injuries, right? I think I settled in at 12 to 14. Well, last week after beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I said, okay, now we're back in that 13-win range. Well, now that we drop this one to the Giants, we're back into the 12-win range. And I believe that. I really do. But we've got to get this out of our head that the Packers are going to go out there and win 14 or 15 games slam dunk. And if there's anything other than that, it's a complete bust and waste of a season, guys. That is not the case at all. At all. And and people, the other thing I want to I want to mention, I noticed on Twitter too that, that drove me crazy was it was this is not a Super Bowl team. Okay. How do you know that? Uh, you So you know exactly what a Super Bowl team is? Because it's funny. In 2010, nobody was calling the Packers a Super Bowl team. Guess what they did? They went on and won the Super Bowl. Last year, nobody was saying the Rams were a Super Bowl team. Nobody. Everyone was talking about how stupid they were for signing Von Miller or trading for Von Miller. Hey, guys, oh, are you going to sign him up to a long year, uh, a multi-year contract? Right? you gonna, you going to lock him up and, and look at Von Miller. I know he's in Buffalo now. But he signed with the Rams, and what happened? They got on a run. Guys, the goal is to get in the dance and do it preferably with a higher seed, which we know no home field advantage don't mean as much as we thought it did, right? I mean, you've seen that the last two home playoff games for the Packers. But I just want people to pump their brakes. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not trying to come across as a jerk. I'm not. But this nonsense that people are spilling, and maybe it is just hot take to get people's attention and get comments and retweets and activity on Twitter. Maybe that is it, and I'm taking it all you know too too seriously. But the Packers are right where I expected them to be. They're right in that ballpark. Yes, they could have played better by now, but every time the passing game struggles, I'm like, guys, we've got two rookie wide receivers starting. How? When did we just totally assume that this? We were going to come out and just air this thing out. Now, if your argument, again, is the fact that we're not running the ball enough, 
I am 100% on board with you. We need 30 to 35 carries every game to be successful. We need to run the rock, just like what Ryan said. We need to run the rock against those heavy boxes until they show, okay, this isn't working. Because yesterday it was working. And, and even more so the games before, earlier in the year, it was working even more, and we got away from it. Minnesota was horrible on the stomach because it was just like, my God, the running game is there. Run the freaking rock, right? So I understand the frustration there. But, again, I just want people to kind of pump their brakes a little bit. I'm not telling people how to think. I'm not telling people how to react. Um, you know, it's it's a free country. You know, obviously, I'm not sitting there acting like I'm the grand poobah and I know everything there is about football. Um, I just think we should hold people accountable a little bit when they when they spill that nonsense. Like I said, you go through the Twitter feed. The, here's what the number the, – the five things Mark Murphy should be doing today. He should be firing Joe Barry, right? They should be starting Jordan Love. And um, Matt LaFleur's on the hot seat. I've seen that one too. Matt LaFleur's on the hot seat. He's the winningest coach in the history of the National Football League, and he's on the hot seat now because he lost to the Giants by five points. we got to pump our brakes, y'all. Listen, I'm here to tell you everything is fine. We've got some things we got to get better at, but don't let those same people that were acting like this Giants game was a slam dunk win be the ones that make us look like morons because we lost the game by five points. You know, it is the NFL. Any given Sunday, any team can win. You see it week in and week out. You seen the Jets beat the Dolphins yesterday. If I remember correctly, that was who beat the Dolphins. We got the Jets coming up, and we're going to dive into that on Thursday. I might have a little bit of chalk talk for you too. But everybody just calm down. Everything is fine. There's things you got to clean up. There's things we got to get better at. I get it. But this whole retweeting Aaron Jones saying that he wanted the ball, what was he supposed to say? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe me and AJ can get those two yards. Either of us can. Would you rather him say, I don't know if we could get it or not? Come on. That's just like Matt LaFleur. Like, come on. They're just picking. But, again, Matt LaFleur – Won a lot of my respect today because uh, I loved seeing him yesterday snap back at the media. That's what I want to see. I want to see him not say anything publicly about the players and bash them. I don't want to see any of that garbage. That You do that. You criticize in private. You praise in public. But when a, when a media member that doesn't have a clue about football and what you're trying to accomplish on Sundays comes out and tries to you know spew that nonsense, check him at the plate. Check meet them right at the freaking door with it. I love it. So with that being said, guys, um, hope you all have a, a great Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get this thing back on track. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pack Go.